हेलो गाइस वेलकम टू द फिफ्टीन एपिसोड ऑफ गांधी जीज ऑटोबायोग्राफी यर वी गो बिफोर राइटिंग फर्दर अबाउट क्रिस्टिन कॉन्टैक्ट आई मस्ट रिकॉर्ड अदर एक्सपीरियंसिस ऑफ द सेम पीरियड शेठ तैयब हजी खान मोहम्मद हैड इन प्रेटोरिया द सेम पोजिशन as it was enjoyed by dada abdullah in natal there was no public move- movement that could be conducted without him i made his acquaintance the very first week and told him of my intention to get in touch with every indian in pretoria i expressed a desire to study the conditions of the indians there and asked for his help in my work which he gladly agreed to do my first step was to call a massive meeting of all the indians in pretoria and to present to them a picture of their condition in the transvaal the meeting was held in the house of sheikh haji mohammad haji josab to whom i had a letter of introduction it was principally attended attended by the muslim or the memon memon merchants through though there was a, a sprinkling of hindus as well the hindu population in pretoria was as a matter of fact very small my speech at this meeting may be said to have been the first public speech in my public speech in my life i went fairly prepared with my subject which was about observing truthfulness in business i had always heard the merchants say that the truth was not possible in business i did not think so then not do i now even today there are merchant friends who contend that truth is inconsistent with business business they say is a very practical affair and truth a matter of religion and they argue that practical affairs are one thing while religion is quite another pure truth they hold is out of the question in business one can speak it only so far as is suitable i strongly cont- contested the position in my speech and awakened the merchants to a sense of their duty which was twofold their responsibility to be truthful was all the greater in a foreign land because the conduct of a few indians was the measure of that of the millions of their fellow countrymen i had found our people's habit to be insanitary as compared to those of the englishmen around them and drew then their attention to it i laid 
I I I led I laid stress on the on the necessity of forgetting all the distinctions such as Hindus, Muslims, Parsis, Christians, Gujaratis, Madrasis, Punjabis, Sindhis, Kachis, Surtis, and so on. I suggested, in conclusion, the formation of an association to make re- representation to the authorities concerned in respect of the hardships of the Indian so- settlers, and offered to place at its disposal as much of my time and service as was possible. I saw that I made a considerable impression on the meeting. My speech was followed by discussion. Some offered to, sub- to supply me with facts. I felt encouraged. I saw that very few amongst my audience knew English, as I felt that the knowledge of English would be useful in that country. I advised those who had the leisure to learn, learn English. I told them that it was possible to learn a language even at an advanced age and cited cases of people who had done so. I undertook besides to teach a class. If one was started or personally to instruct individuals desiring to learn the language. The class was not started, but three young men expressed their readiness to learn at their convenience and on condition that I went to their places to teach them. Of these, two were Muslims, one of them a barber and the other a clerk and the third was a Hindu, a petty shopkeeper. I agreed to suit them all. I had no misgivings regarding my capacity to teach. My pupils might become tired, but not me. Sometimes it happened that I would go to their places only to find them engaged in their business. But I did not lose patience. None of the three desired a deep study of English. But two may be said to have made fairly good progress in about eight months. Two learned enough to keep book accounts and write ordinary business letters. The barber's ambition was confined to acquiring just enough English for, for dealing with his customers. As a result of their studies, two of the pupils were equipped for making a fair income. I was satisfied with the result of the meeting. It was decided to hold such meetings, as far as I remember, once a week or maybe once a month. There were, these were held more or less regularly and so these occasions were there a free exchange of idea. The results, the result was that there was now in Pretoria no Indian I did not know and whose conditions I did I was not acquainted with. This prompted me in turn to make the 
acquaintance of the British agent in Pretoria, Mr. Jacobus Devitt. He had sympathy for the Indians, but he had very little influence. However, he agreed to help us at best, as best as he could, and invited me to meet him whenever I wished to. I now communicated with the railway authorities and told them that even under their own regulations, the disabilities about travelling under which the Indian laboured could not be justified. I got a letter in reply to the effect that first and second class tickets would be issued to Indians who were properly, who were properly dressed. This was far from giving adequate relief as it rested with the station master to decide who was properly dressed. The British agent showed me some papers dealing with Indian affairs. Tayeb said had also given me similar papers. I learned from them how cruelly the Indians were hounded out from the Orange Free State. In short, my stay in Pretoria enabled me to make a deep study of the social, economical and political conditions of the Indians in the Transvaal and the Orange Free State. I had no idea that, that this study was to be of invaluable service to me in the future, for I had thought of returning home by the end of the year and or even earlier if the case was finished before the year was out. But God disposed otherwise. But God had other ideas for me. It would be out of place here to describe fully the condition of Indians in the Transvaal and the Orange Free State. I would suggest that those who wish to have a full idea of it may turn to my history of Satyagraha in South Africa. It is, however, necessary to give here a brief outline. In the Orange Free State, the Indians were deprived of all their rights by a special law enacted in 1888 or even earlier. If they chose to stay there, they could do so only to serve as waiters in hotels or to pursue some other such menial callings. The traders were driven away with a nominal compensation. They made representations and petitions, but all in vain. A very stringent and very strict enactment was passed in the Transvaal in 1885. It was slightly amended in 1886 and it was provided under the amended law that all Indians should pay a poll tax of three pounds as fee for entry into the Transvaal. They might not own land ex ex except in locations set apart from them and in practice even that was not to be ownership. They had no franchisee.
all this was under the special law for asiatics to whom the laws for the colored people were also applied under these let under these latter indians might not walk on public footpaths and not move out of doors after 9 pm without a permit the enforcement of this last regulation was elastic so far as as so far as the indians were concerned those who passed as arabs were as a matter of favor exempted from it the exemption thus naturally depended on the sweet will of the police i had no i had to experience the effect of both these regulations i often went out at night for a walk with mr coates and we rarely got back home much before 10 o'clock what if the police arrested me mr coates was more concerned about this than me he had to issue passes to his negro servants but how would he give one to me only a master might issue a permit to a servant if i had wanted one and even if mr coates had been ready to give it he couldn't have done it for it would have been fraud so mr coates or some friends of his took me to the state attorney dr kraus we turned out to be barristers of the same inn the fact that i needed a pass to enable me to be out of the doors after 9 pm was too much for him he expressed sympathy for me instead of ordering me ordering for me a pass he gave me a letter authorizing me to be out of doors at all hours without police interference i always kept this letter on me whenever i went out the fact that i never had to make use of it was a mere accident dr kraus kraus invited me to his place and we may be said to have become friends i occasionally called on him and it was through him that i was introduced to his more famous brother who was the public prosecutor in johannesburg during the boer war boer war he was court martialed for conspiring to murder an english officer and was sentenced to imprisonment for 7 years he was also disbarred from the by the benchers on the termination of hostilities he was released and being honorably honorably readmitted to the transvaal bar resumed practice these connections these connections were useful to me later on in my public life and simplified much of my work the consequences of the regulation regarding the use of footpaths was rather serious for me i always went out for a walk through president street to an open plain president kruger's house was in this street a very modest building without a garden and not distinguishable from other houses in the neighborhood the houses of many of the millionaires in pretoria were far more more pretentious 
pretentious and were surrounded by gardens indeed president president kruger's simplicity was proverbial only the presence of police patrol before the house identified it that it belonged to some official i always i nearly always went along the footpath to pass this patrol without the slightest hitch or hindrance now the man on duty used to be changed from time to time one of these men without giving me the slightest warnings without even asking me to leave the footpath pushed and kicked me into the street i was dismayed before i could question him mr coats who happened to be passing the spot on a horseback hailed me and said gandhi i have seen everything i shall gladly be your witness in court if you proceed against this man i am very sorry you have been so rudely assaulted i you need not be sorry what does the poor man know all colored people are same to him he no doubt treats negroes just as he treated me i have made it a rule not to go in court in respect of any personal grievance so i do not intend to proceed against him that is just like you mr coats but do think it over again we must teach such men a lesson he then spoke to the policeman and reprimanded and and reprimanded him i could not follow their talk as it was in dutch the policeman being a boyer but he apologized to me for which there was no need i had already forgiven him but i never again went through this street there would be other men coming in the man's place and ignorant of the incident they would behave likewise why should i unnecessarily quote another kick i therefore selected a different walk the incident depend de- de- depend my feeling for the indian settlers i discussed with them the advisability of making a test case if it were found necessary to do so after having seen the british agent in the matter of these regulations i thus made an intimate study of the hard conditions of the indian settlers not only by reading and hearing about it but also by personal experience i saw that south africa was no country for self respecting indians and my mind became more and more occupied with the question as to how the state of things might be improved but my principal duty for the movement for the moment was to attend to the case of dada abdullah hello guys i'm back with a new book a passion for success it is written by kazuo inamori a legend of the business field and one of the finest and one of the richest japanese people now the first thing here is the drama called life life is a drama in which each one of us plays our own starring role 
but in the drama of our own lives we do more than simply act we actually write the script unlike a play which must lead to a predetermined conclusion the outcomes of our lives are in in our own hands some people believe that our lives are determined by destiny at birth i would beg to disagree i believe that our destiny can be altered by raising our minds and our ways of thinking instead of fighting our destiny we should shape our minds to write our own script for the starring role we wish or desire to play the sooner we do the sooner we can start living every moment of our day to its fullest by taking control of our own lives opportunities await us at every corner of our lives if we are striving for a chance we can seize them but unless we have a clear mission and a clear purpose in our minds we will miss even the most obvious and extraordinary prospects in the drama of life there is a huge difference between those who have written themselves a starring role and those who idle through life without aim